You are listening to Elisha Space Podcast, where we discuss topics of faith and mental health. Are you hurting because of the relationship or lack of having a relationship with your father? Today, we are speaking with author Gigi Michelle Dinard, author of the book, Hungry for Wholeness, where she discusses the message of the father wound and her story of how she found healing in this area. She has been the keynote speaker at two Fathershift conferences, as well as at other venues. Join us as we discuss this important issue. So hello, audience members of Elisha Space. I am thrilled to introduce Gigi Denard. She is the author of Hungry for Wholeness and keynote speaker of the Fathership Conferences. Her ministry helps people be open to and receive healing within the father wound. Gigi, welcome and thank you for joining Elisha Space. Thank you so much, Elisha. It's such a privilege and an honor to be here. Um, I'm delighted to be here and discuss this topic with you. It affects so many people and in so many ways and uh, And so I'm looking forward to sharing with you in the audience today. Yes, and with the statistics of people that grow up without a father, it definitely is a wound. You know, we celebrate Mother's Day, but Mm -hmm. do we really celebrate Father's Day? You know, Father's Day is a day that's not celebrated as much. Go ahead, I'm sorry. No, no, I was just agreeing, yes, that it's not celebrated with the same fanfare. Yes. (laughs) Yes, now as a mother, I enjoy Mother's Day. So if my children are listening, don't stop. But (laughs) (laughs) But we need to celebrate the dads too, you know? Absolutely. The ones that are stepping up and following through. And also the ones that kind of take the other kids in. You know what I'm saying? Celebrate them too. Yes. Yes. So what exactly is a father's wound? Well, what happens in children's development is that, you know, God designed it so that children will be raised by a mother and father. Right. And in in that design, in the divine design of that plan, mothers and fathers were to actually pour into children different things. And so children will receive parts of their development in different ways from that mother and father. So when the father's missing, or if the father's abusive, or if the father is present but not engaged with the kids, then what happens is the child ends up missing those parts, particularly things like affirming uh, the child's identity and helping women know what men should treat them like, or helping sons know how to treat women. You know, all those kinds of things that are not just intuitive but they're supposed to be taught. When those things are missing, then a child is is at a deficit and that causes a wound in the soul. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the soul being made up of emotions and mind, will, and emotions, you know, the way we think about things in terms of relationships, the way we feel toward certain kinds of people in certain kinds of relationships, all can be impacted when the child has been void of this father presence and okay. and it appears in different kinds of ways, particularly depending on what type of father interaction or lack thereof was right. was in existence. 
Right, exactly. And I also go to the piece about God being, you know, our Heavenly Father and how that often becomes distorted within the father wound because you don't have an example of what a father looks like. So even saying, you know, well, you have, I've heard situations where people will say, well, little Johnny or or little Susie, they, it's better that they don't have a father in this situation. They have father, you know, God is their father, which is very possibly true, but they don't have any idea of what it's like to have a father because that's missing. So they can't relate with what's being said, you know? Right. I've run into many people who have had a difficult time developing relationship with God as father or understanding God's father heart toward them. Right. Because of the wound that they've had from their own fathers or lack thereof. Right. Right. And this doesn't even, we're not even, um, we're, we're not just, excuse me, addressing the lack of the father in the home, we're also addressing the lack of the father role within the home. You know, if someone is not, you know, you could have both parents in the home, but if the one person, and it also falls for women too, for the mother role, but we're talking about the father wound today. If we come into that kind of a space regarding the father wound, that can also be perpetrated and in some ways, it can be worse, even more deeply felt, because your idea of what a father is, is all the more perverted. You know, right. when you have the example of Father God, that concept of having God as your father might scare someone, depending yes. upon what they encounter within their own home. Yes, in fact... I I think that that's a misconception, I think, sometimes that people have because a father was present, that they've really experienced a father's heart, a father's love, a father's guidance. That's not necessarily true. And I've met lots of people in the course, both in the course of writing the book and just in the course of ministry, who had a father who was in the home, but whether the father was working all the time because the father's perception of what fatherhood meant was simply to be a provider. Right. So they worked and worked and worked and they worked well and people were fed and clothed. But the children in the house are all wounded because there was no relationship built with the father. That was a healthy relationship. Right. I've known people whose fathers were not capable of maybe even doing that. Maybe they uh, had an addiction or, you know, maybe they were overcome by anger and violence. And so they were not even able to provide, you know, for the kids. And and like you said, I've met many people who end up being afraid right. of God because their memories of a father were frightening. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that's what they're familiar with. And so that, you know, when they're encouraged to get to know God as father, there's a direct correlation, you know, that says, yeah, no, not so much. (laughs) Been there, done that, didn't like that, you know. So what uh, would you say, Gigi, in regards to the role of the father, when you're talking about the father, what is the role of the father? What is the father's heart? That so well, many people crave. Sure. And and I think that's important to realize that people crave it. 
everybody does. We were designed that way. Right. There's there's kind of like a part in our heart that was designed to connect to our natural fathers. And so there is a desire there. Even when no father's present, it's very much there. Right. And so fathers are supposed to be in a position of helping children develop both spiritually and in their identity in particular, as well as physically and not just because they're a sperm donor, but but actually helping them learn how to do things and achieve things and become competent, you know, in different kinds of basic life skills, those kinds of things that end up getting missing. You know, when we look at what's going on in youth, among youth today, and how little decision-making skill is present for just basic things, it's because they weren't taught. Nobody spent the time or had the time or somebody wasn't around to say, oh, yeah, yeah, son, this isn't, you know, <laughs> when when this kind of situation comes up, this is how you want to deal with it. Those kinds of conversations, if those aren't happening, then there's a gap. And often, it unfortunately, it often doesn't get filled in schools. Every once in a while, you know, there are coaches and teachers I've certainly had some of them who became surrogate fathers to me. But when I think about it, I had very few male teachers that were influential in my life early on. I had some in college who were like surrogate fathers. But in my developmental years early on, I had virtually no male teachers. Um, And I wasn't active in sports, so I didn't have coaches. And so my influencers were not male then I didn't even have that kind of pouring in to like help me know how to navigate things. Mm -hmm. You know, when I got to college, even Mm -hmm. um, I found myself remiss in knowing how to deal in relationships because I hadn't had that kind of guidance from a dad, you know, showing me what I should expect from a guy treating me well, you know, what that even looks like. So that even leads us to the, to, me asking you to share your story about your father and, the, and the, my father. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I am grateful. I can say that in hindsight, even despite what happened, I am grateful because I have seen what God has done and how He's redeemed it. But I didn't even meet my dad until I was seventeen. So I, you were almost an adult. Yes, exactly. Right. I have. Uh, I was told by him when we finally connected that he first saw me when I was six months old and I'm a honeymoon baby, but I have no recollection of that period. He, uh, my mother uh, left him again after about six months. So when I was about a year old, so I never saw him again, heard from him again in any capacity until I was 17. It was overwhelming. It was delightful. It was amazing. It was sad. (laughs) You know, there are all these different emotions that I felt because I had missed him. I had missed him uh, knowingly. You know, I was very conscious, even as a little girl, that I I definitely was a daddy's girl. I I missed my dad so much and I would doodle his last name (laughs) at school just because of of missing him. And it was hard, you know, kids can be kind of cruel 
and say things about your parents and stuff. And it was, it was in hindsight, it was interesting to see my reactions because people could say things about my mother and it didn't bother me because I knew my mother. So if they said something derogatory about my mother and I knew it wasn't true, I could deflect that, you know, very easily. But if they said something about my dad that was derogatory, I really didn't know. So I didn't know whether it was true or not. And what if it were true? You know, right. And that would really hurt. Right. So I went through, you know, periods of that, you know, when I was younger. And uh, when I asked my mom if I could invite my father to my uh, high school graduation, that was how the meeting came about. And she said, I don't care if you can find him. And uh, <laughs> she did not know that I had, had this clandestine relationship with his father for the past two years. So I used that relationship to get my invitation to my dad. Okay. And he wasn't able to come to my high school graduation, but he did call me the night before I graduated. And that was our first connection. And that was just an incredible moment. (laughs) Um, But he did come to visit a couple of months later in July. Okay. And uh, as you know, mostly I looked exactly like my mother, except for her eyes. I have my dad's eyes. Okay. And uh, my mom would always say when I was growing up that you have a Dick Tracy head like your dad. And I, (laughs) in terms of the shape. So I, that was the other difference too, that uh, my, my face was shaped a little bit more like his. She had a very kind of heart shaped face, but you know, we hit it off immediately. And so for me, it was it filled in so many holes immediately, you know, just right away, just because even though I look so much like my mother, I was nothing like my mother personality wise. And so there felt this disconnect all the time. Like, how can I possibly be this woman's child? Really? I know we look just alike, but seriously, how could this be the case? And so when I met my dad, so many things fell into place, like immediately. It was like, oh, you're the reason I'm like this. Okay. I get this a lot more, you know, but it was hard. It was, it was great, but it was hard. It was hard for him. It was hard for me. Uh, he missed my being a little girl, you know, so he would sometimes still try to treat me like I was seven, you know, because, and he would say, you know, I'm sorry. I know, I know you're almost grown, but I missed all those years. And so I'm trying to get them back somehow, I think, you know. And it was hard because we we didn't live close to each other. So I didn't see him often. Okay. You know, I was on my way to college, you know, when we met. Right. So, yeah. So it was, you know, those those kinds of things were difficult. Part of the blessing was that my father also was a believer. Okay. And had come to faith in a kind of dramatic way while in jail. Okay. And, uh. So had a real heart for prison ministry and stuff like that. And it was kind of interesting. We both, he was much more charismatic kind of outwardly than, than I am, you know, sanguine for days. But, but, you know, a lot of the ways we thought about things a lot, we, our writing styles were very similar. We had a lot of the same kind of interests, even kind of weird stuff. Like we both read a lot of books about death, <laughs> like that always seemed like kind of weird. Like I didn't know why I seemed to be drawn to that and then found out he was. I was like, okay, probably get that from you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but 
you know, the first night we met, we stayed up, we played chess till four o'clock in the morning. After we got to know each other, we both realized how I'm probably of all of his nine children, I believe they're in total, probably maybe the second most like him. (laughs) So we were really, really, really a lot alike. And that also goes into the siblings part that you weren't even probably aware of. Your other yeah. So mm-hmm. that's kind of how I got to to my grandfather. So one day, this was this was completely a God moment. Um, I was at my aunt's house. So I have an aunt and an aunt. My mother's sister, the one next to her, who was married to my father's first cousin. And her son and I were very close. We're like a year and a half apart. So I hung out there all the time. And one day I was just visiting and I said, you know, I always wanted a brother named Ricky and a brother named Mickey, just out of the blue. She, her whole face just changed. (laughs) You know, she went pale and she looked at me. And then I saw this change in her face. It was kind of like, I don't care. I'm going to tell her kind of face. And she told me that I have a brother named Ricky and a sister named Mickey, which I never knew about. (laughs) That's amazing. Yes, that was pretty wild. So I was 14. And then she called, she got on the phone and called my paternal grandfather. And we started having these calls sometimes when I would visit her. So I, I didn't meet those siblings, though, until I was 19. So I met my dad. Um, I had older siblings and younger siblings. I went to Delaware and met all of the older siblings and all of their children and my maternal grandparents who were separated. So there were two separate households all in one day. (laughs) That was was pretty overwhelming. That Mm -hmm. was pretty overwhelming. And, And then, you know, you've got all the different variations and reactions to you as this child. I have a brother with whom I grew up, but he is not my father's child. So I'm actually the only child of both my parents. Okay. Okay. So in a unique kind of situation in the middle of all of this sibling stuff. Okay. And how have you dealt with the father wound, your father wound? Because like I, we mentioned, you didn't meet him until you were 17. Yeah. So how did you deal with that? And then you really, it took a while for you guys to get to know each other. So the wound was still there. It took a while for it to heal, I assume, correct? It it did, but I do feel like in this case, the Lord did do some sort of speed recovery. Okay. And And I think even more than the wound of his absence, there was anger. Oh, yeah. There was a lot of underlying anger, which didn't get exposed right away in me. I I think <laughs> I think the Lord just kind of gave me a break and let me ease into the relationship. Right. Um, and I wasn't angry with him. I was angry with my mom, and I was angry with the Lord because you they had angry with him. No, I was not angry with him at all. Mm, okay. And in this case, it was because. I mean, that part I knew. I knew that my mother had left him. I had asked a few times about why, like what happened. Never got an answer. Sometimes I asked very explicit things like, you know, did he hit you? No. Did he steal from you? No. Did he cheat on you? No. I'm like, okay, you know, help me. And even when I met him, I tried asking him too. I never got a straight answer about what happened. 
I just know that one day he showed up from church and she had packed his stuff and it was on the porch and she had left. And that actually created a lot of fear in me. So that's probably another story for another day. But I was always afraid that that would happen to me as well. So no, I wasn't angry with him, but I was very angry with her still, even after meeting him. So that was the part that kind of surprised me. You know, I was surprised that, okay, so we've met. Now I've had, you know, this happened like maybe 10 years later after meeting him. And I wasn't a safety situation that she, I would understand if it was a safety situation. Right. No. Or if the relationship was so toxic, she felt you'd be in better shape with some separation from him. I could get that. But no, you're telling me it was just, she just no. took it. Yeah. And, and even from her own admission, that wasn't it. So, I mean, to make this all more crazy and complicated, after we reunited, they talked about reuniting. Wow. Yeah. So That's it was kind of all over lot. the place. Yeah. <laughs> so I think there was a lot around that piece that was disturbing at so many levels. <laughs> um, you know <laughs> I was just like wow I remember her telling me that they had talked about getting back together I was 19 and I was having a rough day with her that day and we just kind of weren't in sync and we'd had an argument and she was trying to figure out what was wrong with me and I kind of didn't really know what was wrong with me either at that point and she asked me she said is you know, are you upset because you're not, you don't get to see your father as often as you'd like. And when she asked me that, you know, I paused for a minute and I was like, I don't know, maybe. I mean, that could be bothering me more than I'm aware of, you know, consciously. I said, that's, that's possible. That's possible. But then she proceeded to tell me that they were talking about getting back together. And I was so glad she was driving and I wasn't driving because we were going across a bridge. I'm thinking I probably would have wrecked. I was not prepared for that. And, I, and it was so funny, the stupid things you say. Like the, my first reaction was, okay, you can do that. First of all, please don't do this for me because I'm out. You know, I'm gone. I'm not moving back home, but I'm not changing my last name back to his name. <laughs> it was so weird. And I remember thinking like, that was like such a bizarre thing. But her reaction was interesting too, because she was like, oh, you know, that would really hurt him. And I was like, so then I was kind of angry because I'm like, well, you changed the name to begin with. I didn't change my name. You did. I had wondered if you had resentment towards your mom regarding Yes. Right. But I, it took a meeting, a counseling session with my assistant pastor to kind of bring it up. So I had been feeling some sort of oppressiveness kind of depression thing that I could not kind of put a finger on the source. Right. So we had a counseling appointment one night that lasted all night, literally into dawn. But eventually (laughs) we got to, interestingly enough, this, uh, my assistant pastor is a lot like my mom in a lot of ways. So she would trigger a lot of negative reactions from me and I was aware of it. And I, you know, I was pretty open about it. And she kind of laughed and she actually said, you know, my husband gets this a lot from the guys who didn't have good relationship with their father. She goes, I don't, I don't get this too often. (laughs) 
But I said, yeah, you uh, you you touch on a lot of nerves just by certain ways you say things or, mm-hmm. or do things. And I'm not sure that I understand it all, but I'm aware of it when it happens. I'm very aware. Right. So, right. you know, being a leader within our, you know, lay leader within our ministry, I'm always trying to stay in right relationship, you know, with my leadership. Of course. Right. So I wanted to just talk to her about it. You know, I wanted to be open and honest about it. I said, this happens. It doesn't happen all the time, but when it happens, it kind of throws me. And then I kind of, I retreat, you know, then I kind of don't want to be around you. Don't want to do anything, you know, for a while till I feel like it's safe to come back out, you know, right. Kind of thing. Right. And so as we, you know, we talked and we prayed and we talked and we prayed. And as she started praying over me, she said, okay, I just, I feel like there's some things you need to renounce, but I'm not sure what they are. She said, just kind of speak whatever comes up. Don't worry about if it makes sense or doesn't make sense. You know, just speak like whatever really comes up in your heart. And so what I ended up saying was that I was angry. I was angry with my mother for making me grow up without my dad. And I was angry with the Lord for allowing it. (laughs) Because I felt like you could have done something, you know, you could have made, allowed him to be a part of my life. You could have, you could have overridden my mother or something. I don't know. But it was that kind of feeling. Right. But once I actually spoke it out loud, you know, just this torrent of tears, just, I've never cried so hard in my life. (laughs) So hard that I was rocking. She had her arm around me and we ended up on the floor. I was like rocking so hard. Um, After that, it broke. You experienced a trauma. That's yes. what it was. It, it was a yes. trauma. Growing yes. up without your parent was a trauma. Yes, absolutely. You, you know, and just like if you get into a car accident and your body does a jolt, it's yeah. the same way with emotional traumas. Yes. You know, and you were probably upset with your mother. She probably had her reasons, whatever those reasons are. I'm sure she thought right. they were good reasons, you right. know. And I can't talk to the anger towards the Lord, but how did you work through that in your relationship with him regarding that? What resolution, if any, have you come to? Well, you know, the thing that's funny is that once it kind of got exposed, I was able to release it because I was also, at, at the same time I was angry, I was also very drawn to the father heart. Like that was... That was actually the easiest connection for me to make. Mm-hmm. That thirst for my father actually bore something else in me. It bore a hunger to know God as my father. Right. And it ended up for me actually being easier because okay. the thirst was so great. So I'd already kind of developed that and this release. Once I kind of realized that there was this underlying anger and I was able to release that. Right. Yeah, that was, that did it for me um, because mm-hmm. I already had a connection with the Lord as, you know, strongly as my father. That identification actually helped me a lot. And and I really believe that in part, it's because it's a message he's called me to carry. Okay. Yes. And that's what I was going to get into. So yeah. how did this become your ministry? And do you have any fun stories? Sure, sure. Yeah, it kind of crept up on me mm-hmm. as a ministry, to be honest. I didn't see this it coming. It out like that. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so the book began as right. just me and my dad working on something. So my dad was a minister. 
and always wanted us to do ministry together. But we were in different cities and states and stuff, right? I mm-hmm. went, He was in Georgia, I was in D.C., and then in California. So I thought, though, that it would be cool for us to write our story. Right. I just thought it was a cool thing. We both like to write. We right. write a lot alike. And I thought that would be cool, you know? Mm-hmm. So we did. So we kind of started writing our story. He took a lot longer than I did. So I was kind of waiting. I would remind him periodically, like, Daddy, you know, you can, yeah, you owe me material. And so once we, I got both pieces and I put them together, I was visiting in D.C. with some friends and went to go visit a professor of mine who had been one of my surrogate fathers in college. And I was a journalism major. So I shared it with him. Mm-hmm. And he was the one who came up with the idea for the book. He said, you know, if you got some other people's stories in here, this could be a really powerful book. And I was like, huh, who knew? And thought of that. But I did, <laughs> but I did see that the story was impacting people because I had a couple of opportunities, random things that came up to share. I met for a while I was managing Denny's restaurant and I met a customer who was involved in prison ministry. Somehow we got to talking. I mentioned, oh yeah, my dad was involved in prison ministry. We wrote this story about our reunion and she was like, oh, I'd love to read it. And I gave it to her, you know. And she cried and she talked about how she wanted to share this and what I might know by all means, you know, it'll minister to somebody. And then my roommate, uh, when I was living in Berkeley, was teaching at Berkeley, teaching a school. And she decided she wanted me to come share it at her class. Mm -hmm. And these people in this class are crying and I'm like, whoa, okay, something's going on here. But, you know, I still really didn't have any kind of picture. So after after the professor made the thing, you know, made that comment, I started praying about it. And I sent out a solicitation to kind of like a whole lot of people I knew in and out of my church and said, hey, if anybody has, you know, an estranged father story, and particularly if, if there was a restoration at some point, and you'd like to share that, and I'm writing this book, you know, let me know. I'll reach out. And I also, in the meantime, heard a story on the radio. One day I was driving and I heard this woman talk about being reunited with her father who had walked out on them when they were really little. And she was meeting him for the first time, like 30 years later. Wow. Which is pretty amazing. Right. And then I had that experience with close friends Mm -hmm. whose father had walked out on them when they, and, and my family actually ended up helping them find their father mm-hmm. in the town where I grew up. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so I'd had these encounters that kind of kept coming up. <laughs> so that was kind of how it started. But as I started writing, that was when I was like, okay, there is something more to this. And then I think it was the first fathership conference, really, where it all came together. The Ken Canfield is the was the founder of the National Center for Fathering. Okay. Much to my amazement, I had gotten a witness to ask him to endorse the book. I was like, this makes no sense, but I'm gonna do it because this man didn't know me from nowhere. I had to find him first because he wasn't even there anymore. I was like, what in the world? So, but it worked out and he endorsed the book. And he said he doesn't normally do that either, but he really liked my writing. So he reached out to the pastor who was running the fathership conference and said, there's a woman who's a new person in the movement 
and you need her at your conference. Mm -hmm. I didn't know he had said that. He just came back to me and said, hey, somebody's going to reach out to you. I think you should, you know, participate in this conference. He showed me later later what he wrote. And I thought it was hilarious because he said, you know, here's a new person in the movement. And, you you know, you really want her voice there. And I was like, I didn't know there was a movement. I didn't know I was in it. And I didn't know I had a voice. Really? (laughs) (laughs) And they were giving me 45 minutes. I was like, oh, my God, 45 minutes. What am I going to do for 45 minutes? Like, are you kidding me? So I go, I go to Portland. You know, I fast and pray. I go to Portland. And it was more than incredible. I was the keynote speaker. I was opening the conference. The first night was for women. I found out that there are many, many, many fewer women in this space and particularly women of color. Just not, nobody's talking about this. So I was in a packed church, like packed out, like they were bringing extra chairs and there were like 400 people in the sanctuary. I've never done anything like this before in my life. And I'm thinking, what am I going to say for 45 minutes? And 45 minutes plus maybe 25 more minutes, I was still sharing. Amen. That's and, mm-hmm. and that was when I knew that I knew. I don't know if you're familiar with the line from Chariot's Chariots of Fire, where the runner says, when I run, I feel God's pleasure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's what it felt like. I kind of don't even know what I said, but in that moment, I was like, this is what you were born to do. Right. Right here. Right. I knew it. (laughs) So that's, you know, so then I kind of dug deeper into, okay, so what does this mean, Lord? Mm -hmm. You know, and he helped me develop a workshop. So the next time I went to the conference, I did, I both did the keynote and did a workshop. And so many people signed up for the workshop because people got to pick where they wanted to go that they could not put me in a workshop room. They had to put me back in the sanctuary, which caused me like, oh my, this is not what I was looking at. I was picking a little circle of 12, you know. Yeah, I had 30 people sitting out there trying to figure out how do I restructure this workshop I've never really done before right now. Uh <laughs> So, but yeah, so since then, even in the second edition, I felt like he gave me more insight. I added a forward. Uh, I met a woman, actually, we've never met in person. I heard her testimony on the radio about how she came to the Lord and she's involved in prison ministry. And by then I felt like the Lord particularly wanted me to share this message in places like prisons, like recovery ministries, places where maybe juvenile detention centers, places like that. So she did the forward, but the Lord also had me add an afterward, which is a message to ministers that shares about, regardless of whether you're male or female, we have a responsibility to minister the Father's heart to people. Right, right. When we are sharing with them. And uh, so I did a whole piece on that that I added to the back. That, this is just so amazing. I thank you for sharing your story. How how can people reach out to you if they want to get more information about what you do or learn more about you? How can they do that? Sure. The, probably the best place is my website, which is www.wellfedresources.com. Everything about publications, workshops, uh, speaking you know, engagements is all there. And you can submit inquiries. If you just have questions, just reach out and contact me. I'd be happy to do that. All access to the books are there as well. Okay. Okay. Great. Great. 
And do you have any new projects or anything coming up that you'd like to make the public aware of? <laughs> well, interestingly enough, <laughs> I am going to be writing a mother-daughter book from a very different kind of angle. I think I'm ready now. I think that one took a little bit longer <laughs> yeah. on some healing and some understanding. Lord had to reveal some things, but uh, I'm going to be talking about purpose in the pain mm, of mother-daughter estrangement mm-hmm. and really giving women hope that God can redeem these things and use them to his right. glory to minister to others. So, Okay. And audience, um, with that being said, Gigi and I have been talking and we will more than likely be doing some collaborations together. So it won't just be this podcast. We will most definitely in uh, from my website and in my advertisements, you'll see things. So be looking out as well as if you look on Gigi's information, you'll see that as well. But we'll be collaborating together because this is such an important topic and it's so needed. It is so needed. I personally believe that crime would be down if we addressed these issues of the father wound. You know, that's just my personal belief. I don't have science to back that up. Mm -hmm. I I just think some of the aggression that's there comes from the lack of the father. You know, a lot of it does. So audience, we hope that this show brought greater healing for you in this area. If you'd like more information about Jeezy, feel free to investigate within the show notes uh, information regarding how to contact her on her website. We also thank you for joining Elisha's Space audience. I also want to mention to you that I'll also put links where you can get access to her book. Um, and it's also at my store too, Glory to Glory Christian Store. But it's also, I believe, at Amazon and other places too. So you'll have the links there as well if you'd like to have access to those books. So audience, go forward in greater clarity and healing as you move forward in your healing journey. Be well. Thank you for taking time out of your day to listen to Elisha's Space, where we discuss issues of mental health and faith. Like our shows? Subscribe so you can be in the know of upcoming episodes. Now go, move forward in your healing journey.